Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning. Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Good morning. This morning's sermon text is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. I'm going to pray. If you would, I grew up in the Baptist church, and I always loved it when they said, if you could slide in, like I've always wanted to do that. So I'm going to pray so no one's going to see you, but if there's a bunch of seats right in the middle, just slide together. We'll get more chairs next time, but just, I'm not looking. Nobody's looking. So let's pray. Father God, it is good to gather as your people for worship this morning, an eternal family united by the saving work of Jesus and called to proclaim his love to the ends of the earth as well as in our own homes. God, we ask this morning that you would shape us by your word and by your spirit. God, that this church and these families would resound with glory to your name. Amen. All right. Everybody doing all right this morning? There's a lot of you today. Glad to have you. Uh, So last week, we began a series on family discipleship from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you missed it, I would encourage you strongly to go back and listen because everything that we're going to talk about for the remainder of this series is rooted in and flows from last week's text. And the way we described the structure of God's teaching on family discipleship here in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 6 was these three concentric circles with the innermost being quite literally the heart of all the others. And so last week we discussed the first circle starting in verse 5 where we read, "You you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So the way we disciple our family to treasure Christ as Lord or disciple anyone 
begins with our own hearts. It begins with parents seeking first the kingdom of God and pursuing Christ above all else. It begins with you and me loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might. As we talked about last week, God didn't start with rules. He didn't start with rules. He didn't begin with the do's and the don'ts of the Christian life. Instead, he began with love because we are a people motivated by what we love. So as parents or members of the household of God, the task of discipleship is not simply about modifying behavior but shepherding hearts. It's about pointing one another to the greatness of God and cultivating a love for him. And the way we do this is not simply by passing on information about God, but by modeling a life saturated by the gospel. Not a perfect life. You're not going to be a perfect parent or a perfect discipler. But you can model for them what it looks like to walk in humility before God, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to live a life of faith and repentance. That's what our kids need. Not perfect parents, but parents who point them to the one and only perfect God. So that was the first of these three concentric circles that you and I actually have to love God and model this life of love for our families. And then we move into the second circle in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So what we're talking about today is discipleship and time, or to be more specific, creating intentional time built into the rhythms of our life for the purpose of thinking about, talking about, and living out the gospel. And I know that when I say the, the, the phrase discipleship time, or just the word time, there's like alarms that go off in some people's minds, right? Seriously? You want to add something else to my overly crowded schedule. Between football and baseball and chess club and groceries and work or whatever you do, You want to add to that? Let me ease your mind. Because that's not what Scripture is saying here. So you can relax, take a deep breath. We're not going to be piling on more tasks. But since you brought it up, it's possible that you are just too busy. It's possible. The Bible isn't saying that here. It's just me. But... It's possible that you need to look at what occupies your time and give some thought to what we talked about last week. Because how we spend our time says something about what we value, what we love. And so as we steep in the Word of God, as we cultivate a growing love for God in our hearts, it's possible that the Spirit may reveal some things that we need to let go for the good of our souls and the health of our families. Some of us may need to slow down, maybe cut some things out of our life. So be mindful of that. But the great news about our text today is 
It's not asking you to really add anything to your life, but rather to simply reorient your life around the things of God. It's not saying, do all your normal stuff, and then on top of that, add all of these things. Rather, let these things be woven into what you're already doing. Let the truth of God invade every area of your life. And if we understand last week's text, if we are persistent in pursuing God in our own lives, if we are cultivating a love for God and a hunger for righteousness for ourselves, today's text is easy. It's so easy. And my prayer is that the overflow of our hearts would move us to seek every opportunity that we can to engage our children and our friends and our coworkers and complete strangers with the truth of the gospel. Because the battleground for discipleship begins in our own hearts. As I said, we're not taking on new things, but simply making the best use of the time that we have. So I want to look at three things related to intentionality with our time, and then three dangers that we need to be aware of. And this stuff is like uber, uber practical. It's really simple, and I know that we can do it. And the first thing that we want to strive for is consistency, right? Just consistency. And the good news here is that you're already having consistent conversations with your kids. You're already pretty much there. You're good at this. We just want to make the most consistent conversations about the things of God. If I were to guess you already talk to your kids consistently about grades, definitely about sports, about the cleanliness of their bedroom, amen? These are consistent conversations, and you're good at these. You understand that in order to learn, kids need to hear something more than once. And when it comes to picking up their clothes off the ground, they need to hear it approximately 10,000 times. <laughs> so you might say that you're already teaching them diligently, right? I think saying the same thing 10,000 times would equate to diligence. So let's go back to our text and see how prepared you really already are. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your kids, nailing it, and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So you're already teaching them diligently. You're talking with them in your house and in the car and when you walk around and before bed and in the morning, you are primed to knock this out of the park because we're not adding anything. We're just taking captive the opportunities that we have. We want to be consistent in engaging our kids with the things of God. And the more our lives are oriented around the things of God, the easier this will become. The more natural this will flow from us. And whenever we talk about consistency, I know the temptation is to do something like, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. is when discipleship will happen, right? We are going to gather around the table, and everyone is going to listen, and they're going to like it, and they're going to participate, and they're all going to have good attitudes. And if you can pull that off, praise God. But that's not a substitute for consistency, right? For daily conversation. 
That'd be like saying showing up here on Sunday morning is all it takes to honor God with your life. And it, I mean, at our house, it seems like whenever we try to set a time to do anything consistently, the whole world revolts against us. So when it comes time to do that, you need to have a lot of grace, right? We need to fight for it, but at the same time, we need to realize that consistency is not tied up in a 10-minute devotional once a week, but in taking these daily opportunities we have with our kids to proclaim the greatness of our God, to instill wisdom in their hearts and in their minds. And the more you grow to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, the easier this becomes. Because we cannot, as humans, help but talk about what we love. We can't. This is what it means to have God's, God's word bound as a sign on our hands, frontlets between our eyes. We're not literally going to be strapping verses to our heads and hands like the Israelites did, but having lives saturated by the truth of God, having the word written on our hearts, that the most consistent talk in our family would be about God, because he is our greatest love. And so we need to be consistent, and the second point is we need to be creative, which really flows out of our first point because we have this time with our kids. We're walking and driving and sitting in our houses, but if we're going to engage the hearts of our children, we're going to have to be creative. As I said at the beginning, the battleground of discipleship is our own hearts, and the real hurdle is not a shortage of time. It's just not. It's a shortage of desire or intentionality inside the moments that we have. Because passing out the iPads or turning on the TV is easy. It buys us some quiet time. But it is far from engaging the hearts of our children, right? And if we are consistently punting this time to devices because daddy needs some me time, we are outsourcing discipleship to Xbox and Netflix. And I don't think any of us want them raising our children, right? And listen, I know we are the crazy homeschool pastor family, right? Like, like a perfect storm of crazy. But we actually have electricity and running water. We buy things on Amazon. I was going to say like everyone else, but maybe not like everyone else, but we do buy things on Amazon. And we have a working TV, more than one actually, and we let our children watch it. So we're just like you. But we are also keenly aware of the fact that devices can be so easily abused. And they're not abused primarily by our children, right? Yeah. It's by us as parents. As I said last week, our kids are going to make poor decisions. That is what they do. Right, kids? Amen. They just do. No offense. That's why they're kids. If you tell them they can watch eight hours of TV per day, you know what they're going to ask for? Nine? That's, that's what they do. But here's the thing about kids. Well, they sometimes lack wisdom or discipline. They have crazy imaginations. They have big dreams and deep thoughts, and if we would just take the time to engage them on this level, I think we would be amazed. They aren't 
bound by the same mundane, pragmatic boredom that many of us adults suffer from. And if we can tap into that, if we can engage their imaginations, if we can get creative with how we interact with them, I truly believe that they will be captivated by God, and we might as well. I mean, think about it. What, what is more mind-blowing or, or sparks the imagination more than the idea that God knows everything? Like, do you sit and think about that? Like, everything. That he, he spoke creation into existence. The depths of his love are unsearchable, right? Mom and dad, those are not answers on a theology exam, right? They're not a oh, right answer. They are attributes of God that we marvel at. It's crazy. It's incomprehensible. And if we press in on who God is, if we engage the imagination of our children, I honestly believe that we will learn from their amazement. We will be moved to worship. And it's really pretty simple, right? You can walk outside when the sun goes down. You look up at the stars and read Psalm 8, right? When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Like, you can do that. It's five minutes. Or if you're like the people that go all out, you can pitch a tent, right? Pitch a tent in the backyard, make some s'mores, spend the night staring up at the stars and telling funny stories and talking about God and enjoying the wonder of fire. Or you can build a fort in, in the living room, right? Trash your living room. Kids love doing that. So you build the most epic fort and you pass out flashlights because they're cool pretty much for every human being on earth. Pass out flashlights and read Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. You can do that. And, and some of those are bigger things. They take a little bit of planning. But every time you go through the Chick-fil-A line, right, Who, you, everybody goes to Chick-fil-A, and then you start, like, chucking Jesus nuggets into the back seat of the minivan, right? Yeah, everybody does that. Like, you have this opportunity to thank God for his provision. Because you know what? He didn't have to speak chickens into existence. <laughs> we take that for granted. And he could probably take them back if he wanted to. So let's thank him for that chicken. It's awesome. And when you sit around the dinner table, you can ask their kids, like, what are you thankful for? Or how they know that God loves them. Or how amazing is it that God knows everything? I mean, at our dinner, dinner table for many years now, we have this mason jar full of popsicle sticks. And on each side of the popsicle stick is one of your names. Last name, not first name. That could get weird. But your family, two families on every popsicle stick, and just the kids take turns and they pull a popsicle stick out and they pray for your family. Every night, at least every night that we're sitting at the dinner table, which is not every night, right? But when we're there, it's just this way for them to think of other people, to pray for other people. And there's no shortage of ways to engage the hearts and minds of our children. We just have to be creative, have to be intentional. But we don't do this alone. That's the beauty of it. That's the third point is community. We have 
this community, we are not lone rangers. We are part of a larger family, a body of believers, the household of God. And there is a wealth of wisdom and experience and creativity in this room. If you need ideas on how to engage your kids, just ask. Get some parents together and talk through this stuff. And invite them over on Friday night and talk about how we as a community can model Christ for our children. And the elders and the leaders here at CCK want to support you in this as well. We want to come alongside you. We want you to struggle well. We want to see the gospel flourish in your families. And if this is like overwhelming, there's so many really easy steps to start with. Just so many simple ways to begin. Like bring your kids to Bible study before worship on Sunday. And while your kids are up in the class, talk to some of the parents that are around. Like how do you disciple your kids? Ask for help. I know that requires a little bit of humility, but we really like humility here. And it's going to be really good for you to be bold and to reach out and ask because people actually love to help. And then when you get home, your kid went to this class before worship, you get home, you're going to get this email. It's going to tell you what your kids learned. And then if you look down the page, it's going to have some questions so that you can engage your kids in what they learned that day. And the beauty is it gives you the answers. Right? You're like, well, what if I don't know? If they're right there, they're in the email. You are now the smartest person your kids know. And I know there's probably people who are on the never-ending search for the perfect discipleship resource, convinced that if they just had a step-by-step plan to follow, they would be set. But that's just not how it works. I love resources, and we can connect you with resources to supplement the process. We can put you onto some great devotionals and catechisms and scripture memorization plans. But if all we do is get our kids to answer the right questions and regurgitate the right facts without modeling a life saturated by the gospel, without weaving a love for God into the rhythms of our lives and theirs, we are basically just discipling them to be little Pharisees. Full of information about God, but void of the joy of his presence. And we want more for our kids. You can do this, parents. You can do this. Scripture's clear. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted you all things for, pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He, God, has granted you everything pertaining to life and godliness, including the ability to disciple your children. You have the Holy Spirit. You have God's Word. You can enter His presence through prayer, and He has given you a family of believers to walk alongside you. And there's no greater resources that we could ask for for this journey. So even... As you read and you pray in the mornings, in your own time with God, you can just ask God, like, give me a verse, a prayer, an attribute of God for the day. And then you just talk with your kids, talk with your coworkers, talk with your friends. Here's what God put on my mind today. 
Here's what I'm focusing on. And you can roll up to your kids and say, oh, for God so loved the world. Oh, what, what comes next? Right? You can pretend like you forgot. That's sneaky. In the beginning, God, what did he do again? Or love the Lord your God with all of, of what? Right? That's fun. Kids like to have the right answer. We could just say, what are some ways that we can show our love for God? Like, these things are not super complicated. We bathe them in prayer. We engage their hearts with the word, and we trust God. We just had a conversation on the porch last night, and just someone saying, like, realizing God loves your children more than you do. Trust God. So... Let me begin to wrap things up with three dangers, three great enemies to us seeing this become a reality in our homes, and I will walk through these quicker. First is misplaced love, and it really takes us back to the first circle, right? Are we cultivating a heart that loves Jesus Christ? No guilt here. I'm not asking, are you perfectly perfect now? Perfectly perfect? Are you really perfect it's not that. But do you desire to know God more fully? Are you pursuing Christ in your own life? Because if that's not there, your kids are going to pick up on that, right? They're going to they're pick up on what you love most. I mean, Carrie kind of mentioned it in prayer last week, and I had several conversations this week with people. It's like, you know, you could always just ask your kids what they think you love most, right? That's a really easy way to find out. It would be eye-opening and probably it's a little frightening, but you could. Because if the most consistent thing that you talk about with your kids is sports and grades and how they look before they walk out the door, you are modeling to your children that this is where your worth is found. Or if you're always talking about your own successes and failures, your appearance or the daily scale reading, we're saying to our kids, this is what we value Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to convince their kids that their worth is found in how they perform on some sports field or in school or what they look like. They're already going to get that message from every other direction on this planet. Our job is to speak truth into those lies. And that doesn't mean we don't teach our kids to catch a baseball or expect them to perform on some level in school. Or stop them at the door to inform them that they aren't leaving the house wearing pajamas. Right? That is a real and regular issue in my home. Pajamas. This is just part of being a parent. We just need to be conscious about what we are most consistently communicating to our kids. The second enemy is non-present presence. I'm going to have to tread lightly here. But how many of you have been listening to your kid tell you something that's probably super important in their life and you got a text and you just checked out? You didn't know you did because you're checked out. Only to realize that your kid's not even in the room anymore. Or they're staring at you wondering if you're going to answer the question that you don't remember because you weren't paying any attention. Yeah. 
So we're all about controlling their device distraction, but sometimes we struggle to control our own. That's what I mean by non-present presence, right? Just look around the next time you're at a restaurant at how many adults are staring at their phone screen while eating with their family or with their friends. And what's really crazy is some of those parents will turn around and complain about their kids' devices. Like, the kid's on the phone too much, the kid's always phone. It's like, did your nine-year-old scrape together $800 and then hitch a ride to the Apple store and buy themselves an iPhone? Like, how, how did it get in their hand? So we can't blame our kids for staring at their phone screens that we gave them especially if we can't go 10 minutes without looking at it ourselves. And I'm not anti-technology, I'm not anti-entertainment, but we need to realize that there's an epidemic in our culture of non-present presence, and we can't let that rule in our homes. I think if, you know, Jesus talked about sin and such and chopping off arms and gouging out eyes, I know if I said throw your iPhone away, I'd probably get beat up, but... If it's that big of a problem, you might need a big solution. So as the body of Christ, my prayer is that we would model something different for our children. Because the last thing I want to talk about from the pulpit are phones, obviously. But this is a huge issue in our culture. I got my first phone when I graduated college. But kids these days use them as chew toys when they're like two days old. And by three, they know how to use it better than you do, right? It's a different culture. And if we can't use these things in a healthy way, if we can't model this for our kids, what hope do they have? So I'll get off the soapbox. I could stay there all day. But finally, the greatest enemy of what we're talking about today is just simply a lack of intentionality. We have to take discipling our kids seriously. We have to be intentional about how we're going to shepherd their hearts. And I'm not talking about hours here. I'm talking about minutes. I'm talking about like 10 or 12 minutes a week where you sit down with your spouse and say, how are we going to be intentional about God this week in our family? Where is there a window of time that we can engage our kids? What are some ways that we can weave this truth into our daily rhythms? You're already on the right track, right? You brought your kids to church. You're doing awesome. And dad's like, I'll just address you because I am a dad. Uh, God says you're responsible for your family, right? You're responsible. You're the head of your family. You've been called to lead in humility and love and discipleship. And I know culturally headship language is frowned upon. It's usually translated into sitting in your recliner and being served while your wife takes care of the kids and the food and pretty much everything in life. But that's not the picture that Scripture lays out for us. You are to lead in laying down your life. You are to lead in holiness. And I pray that you would take that seriously. But just a warning you need to be a little bit careful because there's a good chance that if you walk up to your wife this week and say, hey, baby, um, 
you want to sit down and talk about how we're going to intentionally engage our kids with the things of God this week, she may pass out. So just warning you, go for it, but be near a couch or something. But you can do this. You've been called to do this. It's not anything fancy or elaborate, but lead out on this. Find a window of time this week where you can open up the Word of God and pray with your kids. Talk about how you can be creative engaging your kids during the week. And, and, you know, like every kid is different, right? They're not all the same, but you know these kids. You, you made them. There's some odd mix of the two of you. So with a little intention, intentionality, you can do this. But just keep in mind that discipleship of all forms is the long game. You're going to face plenty of parent fails. There's going to be some things that work, and there's going to be some things that do not work. There will be crying. There will be anger. There will be distractions. And there will be discipline involved at some point. But what we're trying to do, what we're talking about is weaving the things of God into the rhythms of our lives more and more. It is a slow growth, just like our own sanctification. So learn from the failure as well as the success and press forward in faithfulness. As Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 9, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you have called us sons and daughters, that you have adopted us through the saving work of Jesus, that you have called us and equipped us to make disciples everywhere we go. God, we ask this morning that you would give us supernatural peace and wisdom and boldness to proclaim your salvation and goodness and to model a life just overwhelmed by love for you. God, let us make the best use of our time, taking the small moments and opportunities to tell of the wondrous works you have done. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Go in peace.